Showtime Sports presents Showtime Boxing with Eric Raskin and Kieran Mulvaney. Hello and welcome to the Spence Crawford, or should it be Crawford Spence, post-edition <laughs> of Showtime Boxing with Raskin and Mulvaney with my co-host Eric Raskin. I am Kieran Mulvaney. Uh, we are just back. We just escaped the T-Mobile arena after an absolutely tremendous performance by Terence Bird Crawford becoming the undisputed welterweight champion after dropping Errol Spence three times uh, en route to a ninth round stoppage. Uh, Eric, Bud was utterly dominant. Uh, Errol Spence won the first round, I think, behind his jab, but it was clearly a case of Bud just taking his time and seeing what Spence had. And after he scored that first knockdown in the second round, it was really all one-way traffic. We asked early in the week, in the aftermath of Noya Inoue's demolition of Stephen Fulton, whether these two guys were just fighting for number two on the pound for pound list. And we said, well, actually, if one of the two produces a dominant performance, then we're no longer going to be saying categorically that Noya Inoue is the number one pound for pound in the world and the debate will be open again. So let me ask you this. Is the debate over number one pound for pound open again, or did Terence Bud Crawford open it and then close it again in the course of that fight? Is the debate now closed and Terence Crawford is the number one pound for pound in the world? Yeah, who saw that coming that if there is in fact no debate, and I'm not saying that there isn't, I tend toward thinking there is a debate, but if there is no debate, it is because Terence Crawford is the clear definitive pound for pound number one, and you'd have to be a little bit crazy to put Noah in a way or anyone alive ahead of Terence Crawford right now. That would be a position that I could see some people taking. I don't know if I'm prepared <laughs> to take it. I am willing to accept that there is a debate, but I will spoil that when I file my next pound for pound list, I'm putting Terence Bud Crawford at number one for what he just did to such an elite opponent. Nothing against Stephen Fulton, who is a damn good fighter, and knocking him out and dominating him in eight rounds is a true statement, as we said it was when we talked about the fight earlier in the week. But Errol Spence is on a level above that. He was believed to be a pound-for-pound, top-five kind of guy, and Bud just dominated him at least as much as, in a way, dominated Stephen Fulton. And, And I just, I feel like the people who were taking the position that in a way, is number one no matter what happens on Saturday night. We're doing that in part because there was no chance either Bud Crawford or Errol Spence was going to dominate mm-hmm. each other like that. They were taking that position, making the assumption in advance that this was going to be a competitive fight at the T-Mobile Arena on Saturday between Spence, uh, Crawford and Spence, uh, whose names now... Uh, what, what a what, way to bring that joke. <laughs> we had that running joke all week long, and you brought it back around <laughs> nicely there. It is uh, in, This goes in the record books as Crawford Spence, not Spence Crawford. Um, but just that it was kind of inconceivable that something like this would happen, and thus it was reasonable to think that there would be no pound-for-pound debate uh, on the heels of this. But uh, yeah, you set it up perfectly. If indeed there's no debate, it's because Terrence Bud Crawford has cemented himself as the man right now. Just I I really, truly didn't see that coming, and to the... uh, Not only did he dominate so completely, but I think by about round four, I was running out of ways to envision how Errol Spence works his way back into this fight. Uh, 
How did he do it, Kieran? What, what, if you had to isolate a, a couple of things that Bud Crawford pulled off that made it possible for him to not just win, but lay this beating on, on Errol Spence, what, what stood out to you and what he brought tonight? Well, I think the, the thing that he clearly went in with the intention of doing was at least initially drawing Spence onto him mm-hmm. and making Spence kind of reach a little bit with his punches so that he could counter with shorter, sharper punches. And that's what he started to do really early on. His jab, we talked about the Spence jab, uh, and quite rightly so in advance, mm-hmm. because Errol Spence has a heck of a jab. Terence Crawford's jab, ultimately was the punch that really won this because it was more like a power punch. Yeah. Um, And and I think that's one of the things that can happen when, when you're a switch hitter. Right. Um, uh, And it it was so on point. He was able to draw Spence onto him. He countered him with some beautiful short shot punches. And the other thing was, was just remarkable. And you and I both went, Holy cow. When we saw it on the big screen, he landed 60% of his power punches. Mm -hmm. Crawford didn't waste anything in there. Spence did. And, 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 but kind of was happy to encourage him to do that. He was happy to kind of take a lean back, take a little half step back, let Spence kind of get a little off balance as he threw. And, and Bud's defense was also always on point. So many of Spence punches either missed completely or fell short or just landed on Crawford's gloves. And Crawford always made sure he was in position to fire back immediately and, and harder. And he never got himself out of position. He never got himself off balance. Even when he had Spence hurt, he never got overexcited chasing him down. He kept calm at all times. He had that kind of like assassin's approach uh, uh, about the way he went about his business. And like you said, by about round four, Spence was looking kind of ragged. A- mm-hmm. And some of those shots, those short shots were landing so perfectly that I think they were just discombobulating Spence. And even though, yeah, that first knockdown was a, was, it was kind of a flash knockdown, as Crawford himself said, it looked pretty clearly early on that Spence had taken something that had just gotten his balance off. And and quite early on, I think he turned to me by about round four and five, said, his legs don't look right. And, and I just think that Crawford was landing those perfect, accurate punches, and they were short and they were sharp, and they were landing with such effectiveness that they just took the, you know, they, they just took the balance, they took the concentration, they took the focus out of Errol Spence. He kept throwing Spence. You got to give it to him. The man mm. is a champion and he's a fighter and he, and he never stopped trying. But Crawford was the one who was compact, who who seemed like he had a plan. And it was Spence who looked just really pretty ragged for a large part of that fight. And that is extremely impressive to do that to a guy like Errol Spence. Yeah, in the end, that... Uh, skill gap that we identified from the start, that he could do yeah. more things that we've always felt Errol Spence was a, a more crafty and versatile, pure boxer. That really came to the fore, that, that he had skills on a level above the, especially from the outside, more predictable approach of Errol Spence. But I actually want to back it way up because now uh, as I'm looking back at my notes, I'm being reminded of something that actually it wasn't round two when the knockdown came that uh, that that Bud Crawford was set on his way to winning this fight. It wasn't in round four or five when the legs were starting to go. It was before the fight even started. Yeah. He, he came into the ring 
with Eminem wrapping him into the ring with, with Lose Yourself. That is just such a power move. Now, actually, I shouldn't actually say he was wrapping him into the ring. He was uh, probably uh, lip syncing along to the pre-recorded version of yeah. Lose Yourself. But in any case, um, that just like throws the gauntlet down. I'll back it up further. The big power move, he won the fight when he won the toss. Because it's pretty <laughs> cool walking in first with Eminem. Right. But walking in second with Eminem, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that was it. It kind of would have been a shame if if he had lost the coin toss, uh, and uh, because it really worked out better this way. That for it would have been anticlimactic for Errol Spence to make his entrance after that. I guess basically. Yeah. Um, yeah. But but yeah, it. I the the knockdown in round two. It's funny. So uh, you know. We and all the judges gave Spence the first round, and the second round was shaping up as a competitive round that I wasn't quite sure which yeah. way I was going to score it. And and then from that knockdown on, it really was all one-way traffic. It was Spence uh, showing a lot of heart, trying to figure things out, but there was just nothing he could do, and it, it seemed... It was clear he wasn't going to win the fight from the outside, that that Crawford was just waiting for opportunities to pick him off, to counter him. Uh, at some point, I think maybe, it, yeah, it was in the seventh round, setting up the, the first of those two knockdowns, that Spence landed a left hand that seemed like his best punch in several rounds. And that was just exactly what Crawford wanted, was for Spence to open up yeah. and, and take a chance like that and, and give uh, Bud the opportunity to counter him with something. He countered him with that. Uh, landed that unbelievable uh, sort of uppercut, sort of hooker cut almost uh, yeah. from uh, from the southpaw stance and then followed it with another right hand and down he went and the double right hook that knocked him down again after that. Um, I, I took an L uh, one second into the fight. I had predicted that Bud was going to come out orthodox. He didn't fight one <laughs> second of this fight orthodox. <laughs> yes, and um, we should take a, a brief detail. We discussed this on our way out Um we did in our, in our final pre-fight pod talk about some of the uh, the different odds and some of the prop bets. We talked about how if there were an early knockdown, whoever went for the uh, under 1.5 knockdowns prop bet uh, was sweating. <laughs> but at least they didn't have to sweat too long before they realized they'd completely lost. <laughs> right, I guess. But uh, yeah, that was the the worst bet I've ever seen turned out to be the worst bet you could possibly make. And uh, <laughs> and and I remember I did throw out that other one that I didn't believe was going to win, but seemed a good price at 16 to one to take a knockdown anytime in the first four rounds, and uh, and that yeah, one yeah. hit. So uh, if you, you if you followed our advice to a T, you uh, probably came out ahead uh, on, on the Spence Crawford fight. But, um, you know, the, I, I'm trying to, like, put this performance in some kind of perspective mm-hmm. of the, just the dominance against a fighter on this level. I have maintained for, uh, I guess it's been just about 21 years now, uh, that what Bernard Hopkins did, or I guess just about 22 years now, my math was flawed, mm. uh, that what Bernard Hopkins did against Felix Trinidad was the most complete dominant performance I've ever seen a fighter put on in defeating a truly elite fighter. Mm. And I have to consider bumping it to number two because Mm. of what Crawford just did. I think this was, I think we can say this was more dominant. I guess there's some Mm -hmm. debate over whether beating Spence is more impressive than beating Trinidad. Uh, But um, boy, I, I just, I, I was waiting for something to come along and make me rethink that position. And it <laughs> took over two decades, but, uh, Terrence Crawford just did it. And you could make the case that actually, I, 
one of the reasons why this could stand ab above that is Bernard himself, I think, said after that Trinidad fight that he had taken a lot from the blueprint that Oscar de la Hoya had laid down, at least in the first eight rounds of his fight with Felix Trinidad, and he sort of developed and, and built on that, whereas nobody had really shown us the way to even begin to beat Errol Spence. So you could make that case if you wanted to say, as an argument, if you wanted to say that this was an even more impressive, dominant performance over a elite fighter than, than Hopkins Trinidad. You could make that case that no one had shown anybody the roadmap on how to do this to Errol Spence. That's true. I could see that. I would counter, though, that I think I hold Trinidad circa 2001 in higher regard mm -hmm. than, than I do Errol Spence right now, although maybe that's because I just saw Spence take a beating. I, I guess I would have been it would have been interesting <laughs> if you'd asked me yesterday, uh, who do I hold in higher regard, Errol Spence <laughs> or, or Prime? I still think I would lean toward the Hall of Famer, Felix Trinidad. Um, but uh, and then let's also remember that Trinidad was a pretty solid favorite going into that fight uh, as well. So True. so there's still a case to put the Hopkins win over this. But uh, once again, we find ourselves with a with a, a debate uh, among performances or fighters at just insanely elite levels in the sport. Yeah. Um, I, I want to uh, credit uh, the, the referee for, I thought, uh, a perfectly timed stoppage in this one. And it, I think if Errol Spence had not been an undefeated fighter, if, if he'd been just 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 a good solid champion with a loss or two on his record coming prior to this, I bet Derek James would have stopped this fight uh, after the seventh round. I think it's because you've got an yes. undefeated fighter protecting his O in the biggest fight of his life that you give him every oppor every opportunity. But I, this fight, under different circumstances, it really could have been stopped after those two knockdowns in the seventh round. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, not only are we sitting here <laughs> debating whether this was a better performance than Bernard Hopkins over Felix Trinidad, which, as you said, is the elite of the elite. But good Lord, what does it say about this, about where we are at with boxing right now, that in the space of four, five days, we've had two <laughs> extraordinary performances by two extraordinary boxers who are sailing into the Hall of Fame and are now both actually now just charting to see whether they are going to end up in all-time great category really uh what what an incredible few days for boxing yeah i'm gonna you know call me crazy i'm, I'm just gonna say it boxing not a dead sport not even a dying sport <laughs> actually no, a sport that's having a hell of a place. year to be honest uh yeah. and and there's still so much more to come um so let's talk uh, not about the future of, of boxing this year, but the but the future of Terrence Crawford. What what could be next for him? Uh, actually, before I fully pivot, I'll just ask you, did you have anything else to that you wanted to say about this fight before uh, before I pivoted toward looking forward? I don't think so. I'm looking through my notes. I, I don't know what else there is to say. I, I mean, I am somewhat speechless, to yeah. be honest. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, I'm, I'm still I mean, we are recording this as you might be able to tell from the tone in our voices, like it's minutes have gone right, since right. this fight it ended. Was, it, and, it, took, and, it took the time to walk from T-Mobile back to uh, Park MGM it, to, it, to record exactly. this. And, uh, and we're, and yeah, so so we're, we're still processing it yes, as we, we talk certainly about are. it. And, um, all right, oh, well, let's it pivot. was just we an can... absolutely remarkable performance. Let, yeah. Let's let's turn it forward then, and if you think of something else uh, that you want to say about the fight, we can always, uh, we can always uh, mention, slip it in there. But um, the... Obviously, the first topic, as you talk about 
what could be next for the winner is that there is that rematch clause that Spence, when asked in the ring, says said, we got to do it again. Uh, I kind of suspect Derek James may have a word with him and, and suggest otherwise. Yeah. Um, I don't really think we are likely to see a rematch. I think it's kind of hard to sell a rematch without Spence uh, getting a win under his belt. Uh, you know, an, an immediate rematch seems a little hard yeah. to market to me. And it's my understanding that while the loser gets to invoke the rematch clause, the winner gets to choose what weight it would happen as at. And I assume Bud Crawford would say 147. And I think Errol Spence is probably mm-hmm. done at 147. So uh, do you yeah. have any interest in an immediate rematch, Kieran? An immediate rematch? No, I, I don't think I do at the moment because yeah. that was just so utterly dominant and it's very difficult for me. And it wasn't even just because it isn't even you, you look at that and it's difficult to think of what Errol Spence could have done differently. This wasn't about Errol Spence not fighting a good fight. This was Terence Crawford not giving him a chance. Mm. And what could Errol Spence possibly do differently? Uh I, I don't know. And he is, of course, an elite elite fighter. Derek James is an elite trainer. Don't want to to dismiss either of them in that regard. But I would agree with you that I would think that not only in terms of just marketability and, and convincing people that they want to tune in again, for Errol's sake. Yeah. He yep. Derek is probably and this may have been what you meant, what you yeah, were talking about. It is. For that, Errol's sake, right. he probably should should get a, a win or two under his belt before he gets back in there again. Yeah. Terrence. Yeah. And and I do believe that, you know, it's become pretty difficult to make 147. I think it's time to, you know, start phase yeah, two I of agree. his career, move up to 154. Yeah. Don't worry about getting your rematch with Terrence Crawford. If if that makes sense a year or two from now, we can revisit. Right. But but so, I mean, I guess the obvious fight then for Crawford, for us hardcore fight fans, uh, we've been wanting to see Boots Ennis get his chance. Um, but uh, you, you said to me uh, right after the fight ended, from based on what we just saw from Bud Crawford, as highly as we think of Boots Ennis, boy, well, I don't know if Boots Ennis is ready for that. Is 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 that? I, first of all, is that your number one fight you'd you'd like to see as a fan for Bud? And second of all, are are you concerned that maybe it's not so competitive? I, I think it's the number one fight I would probably want to see for Bud, but it's not the number one fight I would want to see for Boots. Okay, yeah, right. Um, but. I mean, I think it's reasonable to ask, if not Errol Spence, then who for Bud Crawford? Um, Boots is an obvious one. And unless you look at somebody, I don't know, like a Teofimo Lopez moving up to 147 on on the back of some good, you know, if it, especially if he gets another good performance under his belt because he's another extreme talent, uh, something like that. I need to sell the hell out of it, too. Right. Uh, I, I mean, I'm just thinking off the cuff here, and yeah. there's probably some really obvious ones that I'm missing. But So so, so I'll interrupt to say that speaking of thinking off the cuff, I was on uh, another podcast, uh, mostly a, a sort of a betting-focused podcast, on Friday, and they asked me specifically this question. If, if, if Crawford wins other than a rematch, what, what makes sense for him? 
And I fully brain farted on the existence of Boots Ennis in that moment. I hadn't thought it through. <laughs> so I came up with this brilliant thought that, oh, Crawford could be like Marvin Hagler at 160, waiting for all the great welterweights and junior middleweights to come to him. Think of all these great fights he could have with, as you said, Teofimo Lopez, maybe a, a Tank Davis someday if he can come all the way to, to welterweight, a Devin Haney, uh, guys like that, that there are so many big names and great fighters, Ryan Garcia in those divisions just below him. Maybe that's the path for Terrence Crawford completely forgot about Boots Ennis right in his own division. So, I mean, uh, you know, in terms of like the welterweight rankings, Boots is the the guy most worthy at this point of of a shot at Crawford. But you're right. That's the question is for Boots' people is, would they like him to get one or two more fights of experience before taking on the pound for pound, almost certainly best fighter in the world? Yeah, I mean... I would love to see him get. I mean, he Boots looked fantastic last time out, and mm. and he he's really only had that one even slightly iffy performance, and he won that 120 to 108 right. pretty much across the board. But the problem with as good as Boots Ennis is, it, it's not it's not a, a, entirely analogous, but it may I almost have Felix Trinidad David Reed vibes in the sense that mm. obviously david reed had to be rushed for mm-hmm. for obvious reasons you know for people right. who don't remember david reed he was a very good junior middleweight contender but he had this issue with his eyelid it was constantly drooping and they felt that they had to rush him to you know to get the to, to get to a title yeah. fight but yep. while they could he went in against felix trinidad and, and trinidad destroyed him and he just wasn't the same again it's not entirely analogous because Boots Ennis has potentially a big future ahead of him and many, many years ahead of him. But you do wonder if it's a little bit too early against someone like Bud Crawford, who is not just extremely skilled, but is nasty in the ring mm. and, and, will, and will punish you, whether that could be you know, damaging to him. Uh, then again, it's price fighting. And sometimes you've got to right. fight. You've got to take your opportunity while it's hot and... But Crawford is never going to be hotter than he is right now. Yeah, look, um, uh, Can- Canelo Alvarez took his shot at Floyd Mayweather when he yeah. got that opportunity and made a boatload of money and took a loss and went on to have a pretty decent career despite taking a loss there. So, yeah, there's there's a case to be made either way for stall a little bit if you're Boots Ennis's people or just go for it right now while it feels like a fascinating uh, mega fight. I guess I, I was a little I had been thinking with Boots in general that, boy, he's got to hurry up because these guys are are significantly older than him. But even at age 35, we can say Terrence Crawford looks like he's got plenty of good years left in him that yeah. that he's still going to be there in a year or two if Boots did want to wait. Yeah, no, it, it, exactly. Uh, and he's clearly I kept commenting on this like over the last couple of days. He's clearly a big solid welterweight now as well terence crawford i i I thought that was really noticeable Uh, you and i talked about that the immediate aftermath of the fight that Mm -hmm. there had been talk that spence would be the bigger guy he would come on he would come in really large and that that would be a factor and crawford was at least as big as him in there uh and so you've you've got a guy right now who's not only obviously tremendously skilled we've always known that he's not only very adaptable in the ring and we've always known that um and has this incredibly mean edge in the ring. We've always known that, but now he's, he's got full on welterweight strength as well. He's going to be a very, very tough proposition for anybody. I think. Yeah. Wow. What a, just what a remarkable performance. We came in hoping to see a great welterweight fight. We did not. 
we saw an all-time great welterweight performance instead. Yeah. And uh, just hats off to uh, Terrence Crawford and Bo Mack and the whole team on uh, just a, a career-defining, legacy-establishing victory. As we, He was already a Hall of Famer, but now he uh, does enter that conversation as like our we're just looking at an, an all-time great kind of fighter, clearly. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, shall we just do a quick spin through the uh, the undercard? Let's do that, yes. Let's do that. And and honestly, so great was that main event that honestly, uh, we, no matter how terrific the undercard performances were, they, they would have paled into insignificance. And in the co-main, we didn't actually see really any great performances, although, and including, I think, from the ringside judges, to be perfectly no. honest. Yeah. Um, I thought, you thought, that Isak Cruz clearly won that fight against Giovanni Cabrera. I don't think either of us, I was kind of rooting against Cabrera by, you know, by about halfway through. I, I didn't see what his plan was I didn't like the way he was fighting. I didn't like his style. It wasn't the greatest of Isak Cruz performances either, and I, and I think that had a lot to do with um, the, perhaps the awkwardness of Cabrera's style and the and and, and the real defensiveness of it. Uh, I think even include yes, even including the point deduction that Cruz got for. Uh, I think his fourth and fifth headbutts. I had it. <laughs> well, it's hard to it's hard to count them when he's doing like three at when a time. When he's bouncing up and jumps, down, doing yes. it. And even uh, you and I both felt that Cabrera actually did some decent work over eleven and twelve because mm-hmm. it looked like Cruz, to be honest, was just tired from hitting him all the time. Even with that point deduction and giving Cabrera the last two rounds, I had it one sixteen one eleven for Isak Cruz, which I think was the same score that you had. Yeah, I think we um, may have flipped a couple of rounds or something. Yeah, no, I think, or, or maybe we even had it uh, all the same. I think there was one in there that we flipped, maybe, but we ended up with the same maybe. scorecard. Yeah, it, it, I, I had said to you, to you, I. I think, uh, no, it wasn't even this fight. I'm thinking of something else. Uh, but anyway, that, 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 it, yeah, it was it, all Cabrera had done with those last two rounds was make it seem not like a total blowout, uh, on, on the cards. He did not make it close enough to make a case that it could be a split decision, but, uh, sorry to steal your, uh, thunder as you were describing the fight, but, uh, I'll be the one to say <laughs> it was a split decision somehow, <laughs> somehow. Yes, yeah. it was it was Glenn Feldman who has had several scorecards that have caught my eye in uh, in recent months and years went 114-113 Cabrera which I just cannot begin to conceive with all of the eye-popping head-snapping obvious punches that Pitbull Cruz yeah. was landing. Um it just there weren't that many toss-up rounds to get there. Even 114-113 for Cruz was kind of hard to figure. 115-112 for Cruz. That was the one scorecard I have no issue with, really. But, um, sure. but it, it, yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the signature performance we were hoping for from Isak Cruz. I think he wanted a knockout, um, and uh, a lot of us were expecting a knockout, and he, and he didn't get it. And is there seems to be a bit of a. Um, backlash on uh from what i was seeing on twitter uh just the idea that uh of the rematch with tank may have lost a little luster off this performance that oh you can't yeah. he didn't he didn't earn that rematch uh with with what we saw here he clearly won the fight it was should have been unanimous not split uh all credit to giovanni cabrera for unbelievable toughness and a great chin um but he yes. did not win that fight he didn't really as you said have seemed to have much of a plan for how to win the fight um yep. pitbull cruise advances but not in impressive style yeah i 
obviously there's an agenda involved, but I uh, I don't I don't agree with Devin Haney's verdict, which was quote Cruz is ass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sure Devin Haney fancies his chances against Isak Cruz, and I would fancy Devin Haney's chances against Isak Cruz as well. But uh, yeah, wasn't necessarily his best performance. But again, I think that's as much to do with the opponent as much as anything. And by and large, apart from not knocking him out, there wasn't much more I think that Cruz could have done there. Yeah, I did see uh, there was some note of Ryan Garcia calling out Pitbull. Uh, yes. That could be a yes. little more interesting than Devin Haney uh, yes. against uh, against Pitbull, but um, I'd watch that. I would I would watch that. That would be an intriguing right. fight. And and actually, our friend uh, David Greisman at one point early in this fight had uh, had uh, referred to Giovanni Cabrera as Dollar Store Ryan Garcia. So uh, if he just he just beat uh, Dollar Store Ryan <laughs> Garcia, maybe take on the real thing. Uh, I'd, I'd be somewhat interested in that. My boy Greisman was on fire tonight. Yeah, he had some I real good. He, uh, he made a, he... <laughs> if you, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know whether to call it Twitter anymore or what the hell to call it. But you have, if you have Indeed. access to it, look him up and uh, read his tweets from tonight. Uh, good performance by Greisman. Indeed. Um, before that, we saw uh, Alejandro Alex Santiago defeating Nonito Donaire by unanimous decision, as I had predicted from the very beginning, <laughs> from the moment that this yes. fight was was called, I, I said that's exactly how it's going to be. Uh, 116, 112 twice, 115, 113, and I think we both thought that they were a smidgen close too. I, I had it 117. 11 I think you had it the same or did you Yeah so this this is the I fight I was thinking of where we flip-flopped two rounds and ended up with the same scorecard this was yeah. this was where I was getting confused uh, that but I also had 117-111 but I do have to acknowledge that 116-112 is the correct score in this fight because that's what Steve Weissfeld said it was <laughs> Exactly exactly and uh, you know it, it started off with Santiago looking the faster, fresher guy. But Donaire clearly went in there with a plan. He had a lot of experience, and, and I, I, you verbalized it as we were sitting there. Donaire is sitting on that counter left. He is mm-hmm. looking to land that counter hook, and boom, there he did almost immediately. And that was clearly his plan, was to try to get Santiago to come on and counter him. And he had those, after he landed that 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 big first one, which was in round three, I think, um, yeah. Santiago definitely looked a little bit less certain for a couple of rounds and and i think this is where we had the rounds flipped a little bit because i think i had done going ahead after five rounds but then after that once santiago had kind of got his distance right and his speed right and he figured out how to and where to move in and how to you know slip those counters i, I thought he basically swept the second half of the fight to be honest and it looked like a classic case of Donair perhaps knowing what punches he needed to throw, but mm-hmm. by the time his brain sent the signal to his fist, Santiago had gone. This looked like a classic case of a great champion, perhaps seeing the signs and knowing that it was time to hang him up. But his response was, hell no to that. Uh, it looks like we will see Nonito Donaire uh, a little bit more yet, but this definitely felt a classic case of a few years ago, Five, six years ago, or, or whenever Nonito Donaire was at his bantamweight peak, further back than that, I don't think he would have had much of an issue with somebody like Alejandro Santiago. This was Donaire fighting Santiago and Father Time at the same time, and yeah. we all know how that goes. Yeah, I will just say that I would like to 
see Nonito Donaire reconsider his hell no and then think yeah. it over a bit and if and this possibly be his last fight. But but at the same time, he certainly didn't look like a totally used up fighter. This was a competitive no. fight. And um, Santiago, as I, I was saying, coming in is very good. He's better than his record suggests. Um, so I don't know, even in his prime, Nonito Donaire certainly beats this guy. Does he? you know, totally toy with him? Maybe not. Santiago is is, no. is a solid fighter. I don't want to, like, diminish what he accomplished by just saying that, oh, it's because Donaire is 40. Um, but certainly, yeah, Donaire, the, the reflexes weren't quite, quite there. The left hook was still dangerous as hell. Um, but, like, the right-hand counters were really... Uh, just a hair slow. Santiago could could get yeah. out of the way of those just about every time. And um, it was I actually the the round that we differed on besides the fifth, uh, which put Donaire ahead for you was I then gave Donaire the twelfth, which may have just been kind of a sympathy. I round. almost did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I could see that actually. I could definitely see that. I think I even made a note to the effect that he. I think I said he did some good work, but I didn't think it was quite enough to win it. But yeah, I could totally see that. Yeah, but just and what a great moment as as when the decision was read, as soon as Santiago was announced as the winner, he just broke down into tears of joy. And Nonito came right over and just gave him a, a big hug as he was kind of crying happy tears on Nonito's shoulder, yeah. basically. And just a great scene. And uh, you got to love the sportsmanship. And that's really, you know, one of the hallmarks of Nonito Donaire's entire career is is just what a class act he is. Absolutely, 100%. Um, and finally, look, Terence Crawford made by far the biggest statement of the night, but he wasn't the only one to make a pretty impressive statement. Yoannis uh, Teyes uh, knocking down and stopping uh, Sergio Garcia in the third round. Garcia yeah. had not been knocked down at all before. He'd gone the distance against Sebastian Fondora. He'd gone the distance against Tony Harrison. A very, very impressive statement by Teyes, uh, even if Garcia was protesting uh, when it was stopped, but he was protesting when Bobby Hoyle was giving him a count after he got knocked down. So I actually think that what happened there, as we were discussing, was I'm not sure Garcia knew what was going on after Teyes landed that first right hand and nearly put him down and then definitively put him down with a follow-up right hand. I thought that was a very impressive statement by Teyes. Yeah, absolutely. Boy, d this doesn't even feel like this fight happened tonight. This feels like <laughs> like it was a few weeks ago at this point. But uh, but yeah, a great way to start the show for Teyes. And yeah, we both had picked him by unanimous decision. We didn't see anything like this coming. Um you know, it all started with basically one punch from out of nowhere, uh, one right hand that, that hurt uh, Garcia. And so you don't, you know, you, you're never sure how much to read into it that, oh my God, is he that great of a puncher? Or did he just land this, this one particularly good punch? And, and he's, you know, this was his, what, his sixth pro fight, I believe, seventh pro yeah. fight. So we're going to have to see some more to really, truly assess him. Um, and whether there was anything remotely fluky about how easily he dispatched Garcia, but you had to be totally impressed with what he brought on this step up opportunity. Um, I wasn't sure at first if what Garcia was protesting was uh, the referee failing to call a knockdown 
uh, initially and and that he was kind of a sitting duck for the follow-up punch because he was complaining about something already and kind of looking at the referee. But if that was what was going on, well, he was wrong because he never he didn't touch exactly. down. It was right not to call a knockdown. So, yeah, I think he may have just been uh, knocked a little goofy by that first shot. And by the time the second one put him down, uh, he he was complaining and wasn't quite sure what it was he was complaining about. Uh, and same with the stoppage, which was a slightly unfortunate that he decided to throw some punches right after Hoyle had stepped in to, to end the fight. And thus it sort of looks like, well, I'm still punching. Why are you stopping it? But at the point at which he was stopping it, you weren't still punching. And, and I thought it was a, a, exactly. perfectly, a perfectly fair stoppage. And uh, yeah, absolutely. As they did what Fundora and Tony Harrison couldn't, that's impressive for a fighter uh, as early in his career as Ioannis Teas. Indeed. I think that's it. I think we've done our week's work, have we not? Do we have anything else to discuss? I don't think so. Unless uh, Radio Row, if the PR people are sending anyone our way for an interview, if Mike Tyson is here and wants to sit down with us for five minutes, (laughs) I'll I'll take him. But short of that, I think we can wrap things up. And uh, it is, as we record this, it is 10.30 of an evening uh, here in Las Vegas. Back in Pennsylvania, it is 1.30 a.m. It is Sunday. So happy birthday, Eric. I hope you (laughs) enjoyed your your birthday present of a beautifully wrapped performance by Terence Crawford. He did it for me. I appreciate that, bud. Uh, thanks for uh, thanks for making that happen. And uh, but no, I'm I'm continuing to live in my mind in Las Vegas time for this next uh, hour and a half and <laughs> remain ever so slightly younger than I would be were I on the East Coast right now. One hesitates to imagine how washed you're going to be. Uh, next week moving forward when you're just that little bit older (laughs) check with me in an hour and a half you'll see how washed i am (laughs) oh you won't be awake in an hour and a half that's that's what i mean yes yeah exactly oh see there you go shows how washed i am i didn't even get the setup so (laughs) there you go hey look everyone thank you so much for listening to all our podcasts uh over this past week i hope you've enjoyed listening to them as much as we've really enjoyed putting them together i yep. think you and i had a had a really good fight week. we Absolutely. we really enjoyed the interviews that that we did and um gosh what an absolutely sensational performance from terence crawford to wrap it all up uh we will not be back with our monday podcast this this takes the place of the monday podcast we will be back uh eight nine days from now depending on when you're listening to that when a normal uh, programming will resume uh thank you again for listening uh, congratulations to terence bud crawford and to all of you to bud to errol to everybody out there be safe be kind 